Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number eight of Conversations That Don't Suck. We have a really, really special person on the show today, and his name is Brad Wolf. I'm really, really excited about this one. This was a really special episode to record, and Brad is someone who I've been uh, really keen to get in touch with for a long time, and I'm glad this was the medium that we got to do it in and to really go into a deep dive discussion together and to hear about the work that he does. Brad leads an incredible event called Reimagine every year in San Francisco, and it's all about reimagining end of life and what death can look like when we're having different kinds of discussions around it and when we're talking about it through art and through music and all kinds of things. So you'll hear Brad talk a lot more about that and about his work um, during the conversation, but this episode was recorded um, a couple months ago, uh, like just a few days after the new year, and it was during a period when I was just really in the middle of a shitstorm of my life <laughs> that I was kind of in for like a couple months, uh, more than a couple months um, during this winter and really had like one of the hardest few months of my life this past winter, mostly because of a lot of death that was happening all at the same time, which I talk a little bit about in the episode as well. And Brad just does a really beautiful job of addressing that and sitting with me in that. And this conversation was just really timely and serendipitous in that way. And Brad, I'm so grateful that we connected when we did and that we were able to have this conversation together and uh, definitely felt like some nice healing at the time. So thank you so much. And I'm really excited for all of you to be a part of this conversation and to hear this episode. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the conversation with Brad. Let's get into it. We live in a world that is starved for more authentic connection. Better conversations are our first step in getting there. Welcome to Conversations That Don't Suck. I'm your host, Kyla Sokol Ward, and I'm here to engage you in truth-telling discussions about the super deep, always beautiful, sometimes ugly, and wholly honest parts of being a human. Real connection and empathic communication can feel easy and should be a part of our everyday lives. Most of our conversations suck. These ones don't. Brad, hi. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kyla. So nice to be here. Virtually. Yes, virtually. Yeah, it's so uh, so special to be connected with other community builders and game changers in San Francisco. Um, what's been what's been the theme of your day so far? It's the new year, and I guess the theme is rebirth mm. every day. But especially today, as we enter, uh, I guess you know it's not exactly the new year. It's January third, um, but I'm still in that New Year's afterglow here and just getting back to to work and getting energized for um this this decade to come what about you yes ooh the theme of my day so far uh i mean the word rebirth is actually kind of an interesting one to bring in i i had an incredibly rough december and i i'm like trying to bring more of that rebirth energy into my january so far in general and I'm not sure I've been super successful at it, but maybe I won't really know what success looks like with that either until I've gotten there. But um, but yeah, I'm just trying to like bring in um, new energy in general to my January. So that's been a, a part of my day as well. If I if I had to say, I would say the first minute of this podcast has been extremely successful. <laughs> oh my goodness, thank you. Well, that brings some that brings some new joyous energy to me for sure. <laughs> Um, awesome. Well, I really want to, so I know you and I have been like tangentially connected before. Um, but I'm really curious, like I've known about the work that you do for some time and 
um you were someone honestly who I've like admired from afar I'm just like this Brad Wolf guy is like up to something really important in this city and I'm super excited to be able to sit down and talk with you um and would love to hear about from from your point of view what your world is about what your work is about and we can flow from there it's fantastic well thank you so much that's really sweet and right back at you takes one to no one mm-hmm. I don't know um <laughs> thank you so yeah, so I, I, I run an organization called Reimagine. Uh, we create transformational experiences that um, are meant to change the way our culture thinks about death, uh, dying, uh, serious illness, and really the way that we live uh, in community and how to do that with more uh, creativity and, and, and love, but through talking about some of the hardest things in life. Um, mm. and we do that really through, through a, um, uh, kind of our initial offering is a, is a festival actually called reimagine end of life, which brings hundreds and hundreds of events together and th- tens of thousands of people to transform a city for a week and have everyone talking about this topic as one, um, you know, death, of course, is probably the most after after birth, the most universal thing that we we face. And yet it's something that no one talks about. So we're trying to bring that conversation to the light and um, use it really as a gateway to get people to become closer to one another, because um, there's so much packed in there that that needs unpacking. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've so so much um connection to some of this work right now are you familiar with you're going to die with the open mic that happens in sf oh yeah so you're going to die is a great event in san francisco um it's an open mic as you're describing uh run mm-hmm. by my friend ned buskirk that uh, creates an open space for people to share songs and poetry poetry prose and everything goes uh, <laughs> yes. that happens really bi-weekly and that's actually a part of reimagine that they've they've been a big partner of ours um, and so I'm very familiar with it and it's very emblematic of some of the types of things that happen during reimagine yeah I um I recently got introduced to you're going to die well not that recently it was maybe like uh two years ago or so um because my roommate is really involved with them and like does work with them and I honestly, once I started to go to You're Going to Die and um, really like getting to know my roommate and her views on death was really the first time in my life that I started like confronting my own mortality as, you know, of course, most of us are not walking around thinking about the fact that we're going to die one day. Um, and which is such a beautiful thing that both You're Going to Die and Reimagine are teaching us to do. Um, and I'm curious, what were the events in your life, or maybe not even the events, but just what are the things in your life that have inspired you to create these types of conversations for other people in such a big way? Um, so personally speaking, um, you know, when I was 21, my dear friend, Sarah, when I was in college, she was diagnosed with a rare form of pediatric cancer and I'm a musician by, by background, um, a songwriter, but at that time was doing it as a closet hobby. Um, when she was sick, she was placed at the children's hospital and I was at Stanford at the time. And, um, I grew up in the Bay area. And so she had, she's from, um, she's from the Bay area as well, but she had, was on the East coast for college, but then had to be brought back and placed in the hospital. 
uh, for much of that, that time. And uh, I would just bring my guitar to the hospital as the only thing that I really knew how to show up for her was to, you know, mm. lean on some other voice that felt like, um, I don't know, somehow safer, but more expressive than just words. And it turns out words aren't always the thing that, that are, you know, matters of life and death. Mm. There's other modalities that are become even more important to express ourselves. And for me, music was one of those things. And I started playing songs for her and writing songs at her bedside. And um, she really encouraged me to pursue music professionally. Uh, she, and, and, but really just to see how music affected her and me together in that, in that time that it actually provided a real respite for her symptoms um, and brought some healing to her made me realize the power of creativity and art uh, as a way uh, to, to connect around some of these harder topics in life. And um, when she, she died after two years of, of treatment, uh, you know, I was left thinking about, especially at her funeral, uh, why is it that we wait till, you know, after the fact to tell people we love them. Uh, why aren't we telling people that all the time? And why aren't we using our creativity uh, to express ourselves as a society? And fast forward 10 years, and I started this reimagined concept um, with many of those same ideas at the core. So Sarah was definitely a big inspiration. Um, and we can get into other things too. I mean, my grandparents were Auschwitz survivors. And so growing up hearing stories about that uh, was a part of it as well. And then more particularly related to reimagine, reimagine spun out of, or really was spawned at, um, at IDEO, uh, an organization in San Francisco where I was working prior to, to leaving and turning reimagine into a nonprofit organization that stands alone. And all of those things kind of laddered up. I mean, really everything in my life brought me to this point and trying to follow after Sarah passed away, really trying to continue to follow my own inspiration wherever it led. And it really felt like everything kind of coalesced to turn into this thing that I'm now a part of that, that a lot of other people are a part of that, that, that has become a really beautiful glimmer of, of, of light for, for me and for, for some others. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's such a special thing that you're doing. And I, I'm so honestly, I'm like grateful on behalf of myself and all the other people who get to experience it because yeah, I think as you're saying, there's like, we're just not having that conversation about death and, and understandably so it's like, we don't know how, and it's hard to talk about a thing that we haven't experienced yet. Um, and we just don't know how or when it's going to happen and it's scary. And, um, yeah, I think it's it's so beautiful, so important, the conversations that you're bringing to this city and to all of the lives that you're touching. It's so amazing. I mean, one thing I like, you know, that I, I, I say about that is there's about what, 7 billion people on the planet right now, but there's over a hundred billion people that have died before us. So mm. I don't know if you find comfort in that, but there's a lot of people who have done it, even though we yeah. have, you know, a lot, of, a lot more people have done it than, than are currently here. And so we're definitely not alone in having to face it. Um, just like all those other hard experiences that you might think about, right? It's like, that gives me comfort too. 
it's like these feelings that we have about these things are, are like everything else are generally pretty normal. We're not the only one experiencing this thing at this time, whatever that feeling is. And in death is probably the greatest example of that. Um, although to your point, what's interesting about it is while we have billions and billions of hours worth of experience living and talking about it, we have zero hours collectively talking about what it's like to have died. Mm. So it is a great mystery. And there's something about that mystery that's also, um, that can be wondrous and compelling and scary, which, you know, it's, it's just a, becomes really rich from that perspective. And um, yeah, what a great unknown. I'm curious, like how, um, how being a part of this work and having creating these spaces for conversation around death, how this has affected the way that you live your life, the way that you engage socially with other people, your relationships with your family, things like that. How has that changed for you? Um, yeah, it's a great question. I would say it's, it's really changed me. I, they say, as you may know, into the work that you're involved in that certain people obviously pursue work that maybe it's because you have yourself have something you're trying to figure out about your own life. And I don't know if that's the case or not with my, with me, but I could certainly argue that it is that maybe like a lot of people, if you think about, if I think about my fundamental fear probably is dying and losing more of the people that are close to me in my life. Yeah. Um, That's, that's, that's a very scary thing that at the end, motivates or if you think about you know your fear about like why do you say i love you when you leave somewhere you know what's really motivating that why do you, it, it, maybe it's because mm. it might be the last time you see them or why do you pray on an airplane or or why do you want to leave a mark in the world you know i mean why do i want to record an album like these are questions that come with love and legacy and for, for example I, I would say i'm someone who's pretty afraid of or has historically been afraid of change and when i was younger i remember I was scared when my parents would leave the house. Um, probably honestly related to some dreams I was having about the Holocaust back in that time in my life. And I remember I used to make them bang pots and pans to, so that I would know that they were still alive, mm. uh, you know, at the other end of the house, um, just so I would hear them. And I remember when they, uh, when they changed our toilets when I was maybe seven, we got new toilets in the house. And I, pretty sure I cried. I was just sad that there was this change that was happening. My, you know, I, at that time you're a little more attached to the toilet um, <laughs> because it gets so central to what you've just learned. Uh, but, <laughs> um, you know, it's just in, in, indicative of maybe a fear I had of, 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 of change. Uh, or when the sixth graders graduated and I was maybe in third grade, and they had to sing the songs because they were going on to another school and it was the final day of school and they would sing some farewell song. I, I would tear up. I was thought I was, I thought I was kind of a weird duck for I remember thinking, man, I'm kind of overly sentimental. Maybe for me facing, facing death and getting more comfortable with it was an important thing. And now going, so reimagine there's hundreds and hundreds of events that take place across the city, everything from plays to concerts to poetry readings to events in hospitals to events in parks to dance parties there's events where you get to learn about the how how bodies are buried green burial i mean it's really mm. um it, it even goes into losing your pets um events about the death of oneself like coming out of the closet um relationship death 
it really spans the gamut of, of how we think about loss and death. And I've now gone to hundreds of these events myself, um, getting a chance to, to, to participate in these, in these festivals. And I guess the thing that strikes me is I'm still scared uh, of it and it's still a mystery, but I, but I do feel this question that comes up more and more for me as I go to these events, which is a very simple one, but it's just why wait? And I, I just feel much freer to live my life uh, more honestly and more clearly with more intention uh, because really nothing else, given that we're all going to the same place, whether it's now, you know, tomorrow or today or 30 or 60 years from now, we might as well just, since we never know when it's going to be, we might as well just seize that, that, that moment. There's this expression in Latin, memento mori, which, uh, which means remember your mortality. There's also carpe diem, which is seize the day. And I, I really think memento mori mm-hmm. is kind of the predecessor to carpe diem. Uh, so I, 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 it's, it's helped me live my life more that way. And I guess through Reimagine, I've also just seen the infinite amount of human creativity that, that we possess. And I'm just blown away by what can be born out of something hard. Um, we have a board member, Dr. BJ Miller, whose TED Talk you should look up. Uh, but it's, he's really the leader in, in, in talking about uh, palliative medicine and end-of-life care. And he's a really brilliant man. And at the opening night of Reimagine in a couple years ago in San Francisco, I remember he said that uh, our creativity is born out of constraints, right? Like if you're a, I don't know, if you're a, if you're a painter, you're limited by your by the by the paints you have and by the paintbrush. And if you're a musician, you're limited by the instrument. Those are their constraints. And if you think about us as humans, our greatest constraint is the fact that we all die. And so it's no wonder that so much creativity, therefore, is generated by the way that we live. And we're creative just by the way we make it through the day. Yeah, so much goodness in there. There's so many like points I would love to to touch on. And I think um for me, like one of the one of the hardest things about having these conversations around death is like learning to gauge other people's comfort level with it and right now I I mean honestly this conversation is really kind of like alive for me right now (laughs) funny choice of words there um but it's very alive for me right now because I um December like part of the reason that December is such a tough month for me is because there was just like a lot of death crammed into a very short span of time and um like my grandfather passed away and then I went through like a breakup of sorts and then like my friend's mother passed away and like three people in my life got diagnosed with like inoperable cases of cancer and just a lot of things and yeah you know sometimes all in one month you know sometimes time spreads down other times it doesn't and it's trying to cram it all in before the year ends um but it's made me think a lot about death and like maybe more so than I already do and thinking about yeah, how to have this conversation with my family members in particular and really wanting to be intentional about like when I die, there are certain ways that I would like to be remembered slash ways that I would like other people to continue living their lives once I'm gone. Um, and I don't I don't quite know how to open those conversations with my family members. Not that I think they'd be totally against it, but it's just hard to do. And I have you 
has this changed the way that you have those types of conversations with your family or your loved ones in your life? Um, like, how has it changed yeah. the way that you think about your death? Well, bef- well, before we get there, I mean, I don't know, just because you just brought it up and that's, you just experienced a lot and it's, you know, it's January 3rd, which means December just happened three days ago. <laughs> I'm curious which of those were the most challenging or is it an accumulation of the, of the experiences that you just described that felt the hardest and were, was there any beauty that you found in any of it mm. or a moment? I'm just curious about those two questions. Mm. Yeah, those are beautiful questions. Thank you. Um, you know, I would say like the ending of this relationship has been the most challenging one, maybe be only because it, which I mean, it's funny to say that because like nobody died there, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, just felt more intense on my heart. Um, and I would say, but the, the death of my friend's mother, who I actually, I never got a chance to meet her, but, um, when that happens, I think it just like scared me a lot. Like that brought a lot more fear into my field of just like, holy shit, everyone's going to die. And maybe we're going to like watch it happen slowly or it's going to happen out of nowhere. And either way, it's really terrifying. And, um, yeah, and just had me thinking about like the the way that I want to communicate with my family specifically around my death. And yeah, I haven't unfortunately haven't really found beauty in those circumstances yet. My my grandfather, I think, left a really beautiful legacy. But even that I think has been hard in that like he was the last person of that generation in my family to die and um has felt just I think has also just left sort of some empty questions of like does anything matter? Like pretty much everyone he knew of his generation was already dead and like all of his friends were dead. And it's just, I I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's just been a hard thing to like wrestle with of just like, yeah, this is going to happen to us or maybe it's going to happen a lot earlier, which is also challenging. Um, but yeah, has, I haven't, I haven't yet found the beauty. I know it's there, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of all just feeling like a mix right now. Yeah, no, that's, I appreciate your, your honesty. And that's, that's really, that's, a, that is a lot. I would, I have some responses to some of the things you just said. I mean, for, I, I've definitely had the experience that you've mentioned before about a breakup being harder than, than some deaths. And I, I think, and I wonder if part of the reason is because somehow when someone dies at, at that point, there's no more choice. The love is, just, you know, it's when, when you're in a breakup, you're choosing for that love mm-hmm. to have ended. And there's something about choosing that that makes it so painful that you know that you could still be with that person right now. Um, or that you two could, you, you know, you're, you, you could be with one another, but, but for some reason we have to, those paths diverge. Whereas with a death, having that power, that powerlessness, you can kind of submit to that and therefore in some ways it makes it easier. I don't know. Does that resonate at all? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, even as you're saying these things and as I'm talking about them, it's making all of it feel so much more like, I think just having this conversation is actually bringing a lot more beauty to it and bringing a lot more humanness, um, or just sort of like widening my perspective on it. Because when you're in the, like really in the depths of these feelings, it's so lonely. And 
as you're saying, it's like death in all of its forms, breakups, whatever, your pet dying, whatever it is. These are, yeah, the most universal experiences. And yet they feel so lonely when we're not having the conversations. And so even just talking about it now is making it feel just like, you know, this is a beautiful human experience, a really hard, beautiful human experience. And it's it's not as lonely, even as we're talking about it. So this alone is really beautiful. Nice. Yeah. You mentioned this idea of, of does anything even matter? Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting question that death brings up for me as well. Because when you see that things are, are impermanent and that we're all, that's going to happen to all of us, it does kind of beg that question. Um, and then, of course, there's different religious beliefs that say different things about what does matter and how this life might relate to perhaps another existence where different people find that meaning. But I think those questions are really there for all of us. I think the question you're asking was kind of like, I, I, I've felt that before as well. And then I think my response to that question was, well, given that we're all going to die and maybe there is, a, there is this potential meaninglessness, you think about what gives your life, what can give your life meaning because you want to live in a meaningless, do you want to live a meaningless life? You know what I mean? It's easy. It's a choice you can make, but why not fill it up with something else that is beautiful? And when you start then focusing on making more beauty and making more meaning, then there's some, there's joy that you can derive from that. And I, I know that to be true. I think we all do. So it just allows me then to say, okay, I'm going to just choose this. And even if that thing is hard in the, in the present moment for whatever circumstance, if you just keep moving toward that path, I find that it's, you know, it seems to be rewarding in some ways. Yeah, you just have to choose. I think it might. I, I think it might be inherently meaningless, but you get you get to choose meaning, and there's there's something mm-hmm. nice about that. Yeah, very like Viktor Frankl approach <laughs> to the yeah. world. Huh? And I I do I I mean I look at my grandparents who survived being prisoners in these concentration camps as well, and you know my grandfather for example, his job was to carry the bodies to and from the crematoriums or out of the crematoriums uh, after someone had been, you know, incinerated, I guess. And, and he would survive by finding the food and the clothing of the prisoners that were his friends Hmm. left there. And that, that helped keep him alive. And to think that him and my grandma who had a similar story could go on to in some ways live normal lives after that and would fight to even stay alive when other people were committing suicide there's got to be something pretty there's got to be something you can make in life or something beautiful about life that makes it that makes people choose that in the face of so much hardship. Mm-hmm. There's something there's something here that's worth doing something. Try to keep searching for that beauty and the more we can make it the more fulfilling it seems to get. Mm-hmm. But death is definitely a big part of it and and kind of avoiding it f- feels like maybe not the right thing to do because then you don't really have the same perspective and the same sense of palpable motivation and intention uh, because you start feeling like oh maybe there's there's not a, there's not just not the same urgency yeah i think it is kind of there is an urgency to our lives and to these moments and that we can appreciate like i'm appreciating yeah, i'm appreciating this time that we're spending now it's precious time and mm-hmm. it's nice to to explore these topics and to talk about things that matter and so even with our parents i guess this kind of maybe segues to what you were saying the questions about how do you talk to your family i mean that's really hard talking to your family because I think we're ultimately scared of their like losing them yeah and they're scared and we don't want to scare them and we don't want to scare ourselves having that like love that layer of uh, over our us 
is is nice to know that, that we're not the next in line, even though you never know who's next. Right. One thing I've learned is it's sometimes easier to start talking to other people about it first and to work up the courage to bring it up to your family. That's why some of these events and talking about it in community with strangers can be really nice. Though it seems like it'd be hard, it's sometimes that the fact that it's a little less personal to you and them, you know, you can express those fears without about your own parent dying without it being you sharing saying, "Mom, I'm really scared of you dying," which is like right. a hard thing to say. Mm. Ooh, yeah, it's um I think, yeah, there is so much power in being able to express that to a, a stranger first and and for it to be almost, um, I imagine like that some of those conversations at your events would be a really good, just like a practice field, almost like a playing ground for, yeah, how to bring this into the more, the even more personal relationships that we have. I'm curious, you use the phrase choosing life and I'm curious how you how you choose life in your day to day, like what that means to you, how you live more fully knowing that you're going to die and that it's up to you to create meaning where you want to. If we're going to go with the assumption that everything is meaningless and of course we're all have different feelings about what that might look like, but how do you choose meaning in your life? Where do you make meaning? What does choosing life look like for you? Uh, I mean, that, that, it means so many things. I mean, one, I'm not afraid to be silly and make a fool of myself. Yes. I'm not afraid to talk to people and learn about them because the worst thing that can happen is you get shut down, but people are really interesting and they all have their own beautiful stories to tell. So talking to your, you know, your neighbor, an Uber driver or someone at the store, you know, I find those really rich conversations to just to learn more about people and ask people how they're doing and take the time to connect with whoever I meet because in, in that moment, we're the only ones that, that, that are there. I, I play music. Because music makes me feel really good and and also brings me really into the present moment. Because when you're singing and you're making sounds come out of instruments simultaneously, and there's too much going on to focus on anything else but right now. Mm. I pursue this career because I've felt the benefit of these things I'm describing, and I've seen it in other people. And and even though, you know, I'm. I'm in Silicon Valley running a nonprofit as opposed to being in tech or doing something else. I find that if I pursue what I care most about, even if it doesn't work out from a financial perspective or from other way, I will be creating meaning and, and I'll and I'll figure it out. So it, so it allows me not to look over my shoulder as much and be comparative uh, and just pursue what, you know, my own path. It's very helpful in that regard. And I just try to be nice to people because... Mm. Uh, because again, it's like, why, you know, if you're trying to create meaning, then why would you choose? Why would you choose? You get to, I think 40% of our attitude, we get to choose, right? You can rewire your brain with our neuroplasticity uh, uh, up to 40%. That's not just hardwired. And so that, that we have a choice about the kind of state of mind we, we live with. And so trying, trying to keep that in mind and, and make choice to be in that positive frame of mind or it doesn't have to be positive all the time. I mean, you can obviously, of course, like I'm saying, face these really hard things, but acknowledge them and then understand that they're part of our human experience and then find that is beautiful. So I don't know, those are some things that I that I do. And the more that I do this work, the more that I find I'm able to do those things, which means that I, I think it is effective and a great antidote to like a lot of the shit that surrounds us. I think there's, there's so much pressure of like creating... Well, okay. The reason I'm about to say this is because I think about your story and how you have this friend who passed away when you were 21. And, you know, you're not the only person on the earth that has experienced death at a young age. And I'm, hmm. I think it's 
really special and powerful that you decided to use that grief and use that experience and your learnings from it and to do something with it. And I think so many people, as we're here living our lives and trying to make meaning, they have such a hard time taking action on the things that would feel meaningful to them because they're afraid like the impact wouldn't be big enough. Like I think we qualify the things that are important to us and the things Mm. that we want to do with them. Yeah, or thinking like, oh, you know, I'm not going to make a difference with this or it doesn't matter or someone's already doing it, so I shouldn't take action on it. Um, So I think it's really special and important that you've done something with the thing that felt meaningful to you while you're here and without really any expectation or necessity for it to look like a certain something but just to reach as many people as you can and to just bring important conversations to other people like that's what matters i mean i've definitely failed at things in in the way that other people say that things have failed right like things i've Mm -hmm. tried and and given up on or that i've switched gears on but then is it really failure you know i mean right it's all just part of what we got going and so might as well just do it i think with with death what I what I've noticed, and I don't I don't know if you relate to this, but when you have grief or loss or something, some emotion like that that gets created, there's definitely yeah something created inside of you, whether it's like pain or whether it's despair, or whether it's grief or it's, it's all those emotions. And I guess this is where I think art is really powerful, but I think it needs to be metabolized into something. It, it, it needs to be expressed somehow. I guess the question is, what's a healthy way to do that? Yeah, it's, it's hard just to have it sit inside you and not find a new life. And it, I think it can come out in really harmful ways. And I've felt, I've felt that too before in various parts of my life. Um, but I find when I translate it into something else that is beautiful, whether it's a song or a poem or an expression of love for somebody else, that kind of releases that energy into something else so it can become something. So that spirit of somebody else can still like move through you. I mean, that's what re- that's what I'm trying to inspire people to do, I guess, really, is to try to transmute those parts of life into their own creativity, which is why in Reimagine, we invite anyone who participates, you can host your own event. It can be for your friends to just get together and talk about this. We try to say, why wait to tell somebody you love them to repair a broken relationship, to cross something off your bucket list, prepare ahead for your own end of life. There's things that you can do, you know, to turn your pain into art. I think I, I know we all have that capacity, but because of society or our structure and the value we, some people pretend to place on certain things, there's, there can be a fear from tapping into our own creativity because of, of the sense of rejection and, or some of the things you mentioned that maybe it won't, people won't like it or will, won't be that impactful. Or if it's more about the process, there's this really great book, by the way, that I really recommend for anyone out there called On Becoming an Artist, Mindful Creativity, which is by this professor at Harvard named Helen Langer. It's, it's about the process of being creative and just focusing on that. It doesn't really matter what the output is. It's just the process and enjoying that and experiencing that. And the output is really secondary. And so I think if you kind of live your life like that, then the, you'll, you'll be surprised on what the outputs are, but it doesn't even really matter. It's because you're in the moment making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that also that you're using the word transform and not like when we're talking about grief and pain and where it all goes. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, using the word transform instead of like, oh, it's going to go away. Or like one thing that I think of, um, actually like a a past breakup that I went through a few years ago, um, a friend of mine, I said to a friend like, you know, what's going to happen to all the love? Is it just going to die? I'm like, that's even sadder than the love disappear. Like 
you know, it, that's sadder to me than me being heartbroken for the rest of my life. The fact that the love that was there would die. And she said to me, she said, the love isn't going to die. It's just going to change. It's going to go somewhere else. It's going to transform. And I think it's the exact same thing with death, with grief of all kinds is like, it's, you know, we're not creative for the purpose of, okay, now I don't have to be sad anymore. It's just that where it is, it's to move that energy and for it to be transformed into something else, for it to be transformed into a song or for, for it to be transformed into love, into gratitude, whatever it is, into beautiful memories. Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction for people to have that it's not for the purpose of us never being sad again. It's just so that we can move the energy somewhere new. Amen. Let's move it. I'm curious, like, okay, so I'm going to ask this question selfishly because death has been on my mind and I want to bring this conversation to my family and to my loved ones. And I've been Mm -hmm. thinking about my own death and what what that might look like as if I have any agency over it whatsoever. Um, But do you, in the work that you've done, like, do you um, recommend to other people, or maybe this is a practice that you have on your own of just exploring your own death and talking to the people in your life about it and how you want them, not necessarily like how you want them to react, but like how you want to be remembered and what you want your funeral to look like, those types of things. Like, do you have recommendations on how people can get started exploring those topics? I, I do, as a matter of fact. It's really it's really an important topic and, and some reasons why it's important before I get into some recommendations. Right now in America, over 80% of people say they want to die at home, but less than 50% of people do, even though it's becoming more common. Mm. Over the last 50 years, death has been totally medicalized and it's something that tends to happen in, in hospitals. Um, yeah. We tend to try to keep alive as long as possible. Uh, We don't live with our elders aging itself. Old people are kind of out of sight, out of mind. They don't, they don't, you know, people aren't working together. Um, It's just very different. And so we lose a lot of the humanity in, in death and a lot of the ritual, especially in in America, more than a quarter of our population is unreligiously affiliated. Whereas before we would look to religion for some of these rituals and answers a lot of people don't really have that in, in especially in cities if we if we just if we don't make arrangements and talk about this in advance what can happen is to ourselves or to our loved ones is that they will they'll come to a point perhaps where they can't speak for themselves they'll be uh, in a state yeah. where they can't answer medical questions next thing you know they'll be in a hospital and we'll be saying or someone will be saying let's just you know give them this one more procedure we can fight we can fight and that tends to be what we do. Turns out those procedures can be extremely painful and are only prolonging life barely at all. And, and, and instead, people are suffering. And what's more is for a lot of people, you know, that uh, death is the number one cause of bankruptcy in the United States. Mm. Um, it's actually very expensive. And if we haven't planned in advance for it, we can be also, you can be hit with a lot of costs that we didn't intend for. And it's, it, not only can it, does it bankrupt our individual families, but but our whole medical system, almost one third of healthcare costs are are spent at that time in, in just in the last year of people's life. Mm. Um, and so that's very disproportionate to, you know, what we need the healthcare system to be focused on. And we're... So I, just boils into this really big pot of like, man, it's very important to prepare in advance for this and talk about this. The reason we don't have a better end of life experience is A, because it's just not talked about. Two of our board members wrote a great book that just came out, BJ Miller and Shoshana Berger, who wrote a book called The Beginner's Guide to the End, 
I, I totally recommend that book, Beginner's mm-hmm. Guide to the End. There is an organization called The Conversation Project. If you look up The Conversation Project, they have tools to, about how to actually spark this conversation with your loved ones. Like how do you actually um, talk about it? We reimagine have materials on our site, letsreimagine.org. You can find some materials there. The, there is something called five, The Five Wishes, which which uh, is a document. You, people, you, What you're going to want to fill out eventually is what's called an, an advanced directive, which actually states your wishes in advance, um, which is really important. And um, it's and it talks about your advanced, you know, when uh, you, you fill this out in advance of your own end of life, and then mm-hmm. your doctors and your loved ones know what you want. They'll know who your surrogate is. So part of it's choosing somebody you love who can represent you to your to your healthcare providers that can be there in a time of need um, and make those decisions for you. And they'll in advance know what you want because you've talked to them about it and hopefully shared it in writing. So having that conversation with somebody is very, very important to to do and do now, even though we think, oh, we'll just put it off, put it off, put it off. That's what we all do. And then it becomes too late. And we should do that with with our elders as well to make sure we know where they're at, um, both in terms of their funeral and then in what states they want to be kept alive and in what states they would prefer to have a plug pulled. So th- those are some of the questions that you'll you'll get. And yeah, I mean, have you done that at all yet or you haven't done that? I have not done it at all. I think the, um, I think it really only comes into my, I mean, you know, of course, lately it's been on my mind, but previous to that, I think like sometimes when I'm listening to a song about death or something, like a really beautiful song about death, I'm just like, oh, I just want to make my family listen to this song when I die. Like that's, um, I think of like little things like that of like note to self, make sure you tell mom and dad about this Avett Brothers song so that they <laughs> don't Fine. feel as sad. Um, the song, No Hard Feelings, it's but it's really by the Avett Brothers. It's the most beautiful song about death I've ever heard. It's just incredible. Um, oh, definitely man, recommend it to everybody. We, have, we should get them to come perform or reimagine. Oh my goodness. I would, I would definitely, uh, I'd be there. Go to that. Shouldn't be too hard, right? They're probably not busy. Um, but yeah, I, or sometimes like one thing that I've said to my roommate actually, who again is like really one of the only people in my life I've had real conversations around my own death with. Um, Mm -hmm. I've told her like, when I die, I told her if you're still in my life, like go through my journals, my journals are like the most personal look into my mind. And I said, go through my journals, pick out something really nice and read it at my funeral. And um, so little things like that will come into my head. But beyond that, no, I haven't really prepared in any kind of way. Well, I think what you said is really good. First of all, you should just write, you should, you should just write that down somewhere. Mm, That would be a great step. And there's honestly something called, I don't know if it started within Judaism, but it's become more popular and it's becoming more popular now but called um, an ethical will. Yeah. And instead of just gifting people possessions, the idea is gifting people your wisdom and some of the values that you have and having those written down so your f- future generations can live live through those things. It turns out that talking about, there's this whole concept called legacy therapy, which is at the end of someone's life, but it really could be any time, that's the point, talking about those types of things. And it turns out that that actually helps people live longer if if people are feeling like they're and and they're happier, is is if at wow. the at the end of life you can ask them questions about what matters to them or what's mattered or 
moments in their life that have stood out, their first kiss, their favorite ice cream, their favorite places in the world. These can all be also gateways into conversations about end of life. Part of the reason we set up Reimagine is to actually be able to have a place to bring people in your life to, to experience something that's, that might be fun or interesting that speaks to you that then, you you know, so I would invite you, for example, to bring your parent or, or, um, or anyone close to you to come to reimagine with you and check out an event because that's um, just by putting yourself in that context, conversations might naturally arise. I find that after it, for example, if your grandfather died, that could be a really great opportunity thereafter to speak to your family about how it went. Hmm. And is there anything that you could do differently or that you'd like to do with the people in your life that are maybe different than that or the same as that? The thing is, it's not just about the, – the cool thing is it's not just – yes, it's scary, but it turns out, as you may know from conversations with loved ones in other contexts, but oftentimes the hardest conversations are the ones that bring us closest together. So it's not just though that you should talk about this, but if you are – able to muster the courage to have to, to kind of start bringing up this conversation just a little bit. It's pretty profound, even though it's like hard. It's like I, I started talking about it with my mom and it, and it was literally, even though I'd gone to all these reimagined events, that was like the hardest thing. You know, she told me how she wanted to be buried and have her ashes, you know, next to my dad's in this really beautiful way. I don't know. It was, it was really sad to even think about it, but it was so beautiful. And just to hear that expression of love and made me think about her family and just, I don't know, made me, I guess, love her more. Um, and appreciate her more to the extent that this year I took her for her 70th birthday to see Fleetwood Mac in Las Vegas. We never <laughs> got on a mother trip before, but in part because of that conversation, even though she doesn't know that that was part of my reason, but just you kind of start thinking more about that impermanence and then realizing how you want to live your life differently when you really start thinking about it and sees those moments now. And that's brought a lot of joy to both of us, that trip. There's no right way to bring it up, but the, some of those references that I mentioned, those books um, can be helpful. Of course, there's a book called um, Being Mortal uh, by Atul Gawande, which has done really kind of a game changer. And, and, and then um, When Breath Becomes Air, these are all books that yeah. focus on the topic that, that if you get in a book club with somebody you love, it could be another way into the conversation. Yeah, there's just any way you can broach it, even though you might have to come in from the side. Just see what happens. Ooh, yeah. This is honestly, I've been thinking about having this conversation with you this whole week and thinking like, I know I was like, Brad's going to give me some action tips and I am going to talk to my family about death. It's going to happen. And um, yeah, so I'm grateful that you're like, giving a little guidance and inspiration here because I agree yeah these are important conversations to bring us closer to our family and and it's important that we have them now and um yeah so I'm I am yeah. actually really looking forward to them despite how challenging they might be yeah and part of it is also so what happens is what you don't want to be doing is at the end of someone's life you don't want to be focused on the logistics and trying to figure this stuff out when you could be focused on just being there and like Ugh. in a in a deeper state of love yeah so that because you can there's so many disagreements and so many challenges but if you can get some of that out of the way now when someone's healthy then it just opens up so much and i know it's hard to plan for the future when the now part is scary 
but it, I think the trade-off is really worth it. Yeah, so. that's such a, an important thing. And one of the things, like when my grandfather died, so my grandfather passed away the day after Thanksgiving and mm. it was, as you can imagine, I was in Austin at the time of this happening. My grandfather lives in Massachusetts. And so flying to Massachusetts, flying anywhere the weekend after Thanksgiving, when you're planning your travel 24 hours in advance, as you can imagine, is very stressful. It's incredibly expensive. It was just like a logistical nightmare. And and I felt so frustrated the whole time that like I didn't really grieve my grandfather's passing because I was just so focused on how stressed out I was about traveling. And that's a different kind of logistical stress than like not having someone's will in place or something like that. But yeah, these these ways, even going back to what you mentioned about people dying while they're like hooked up to all these machines in a hospital. It's like, that's not what death is supposed to be like. And God bless those machines. A lot of times they save our lives, but it's just this really medicalized and uh, kind of, it just feels like really an unnatural way for death to be approached. Um, And when, yeah, when we're so focused on all these logistics, we miss out on the beauty and the grieving and like really remembering a person. Um, So yeah, just another one of the reasons that as you're saying, these conversations are so important. Yeah, no, I think you hit it. And I mean, really, and the reason why I went into this whole field, which maybe seems counterintuitive, um, but I'm not a very deathy person, but I have found that, and maybe I mentioned this a little bit earlier, it's not really about death. It's really, you know, obviously about life. And when we talk about the people that we talk about death, what do we start talking about so fast? We start talking about the reasons why we love people, the, the moments in our lives that we're meaningful with them, the things about them that we remember most fondly. Um, it quickly gets out of the realm of death and starts moving more toward the realm of life and, and how we might live now. You know, that's, I guess, what I care more about. I've been really, this work has opened my own eyes to what happens at the very end of life, these moments about how death has is become, you know, or how it's not good and how we can have better deaths. Whereas I was mostly interested in how to have better lives. And this was a way that I saw to, to help people do that. Um, but I've also found that it can be a way to help people have better deaths. It's, I'm probably one of the few people who have gone into death to help people live better. But hmm. I don't know, at least for me, I found that to be really what's helped me the most, like I said earlier. And so I think there is so much there that kind of, you know, kick in the pants. You know, people come to reimagine events and then they'll, some of, you know, I've met people who've quit their jobs or totally changed the way that they've lived, haven't gone to these experiences. And I think that's right. It's like we tend to wait until, you know, whether it's a 9-11 or whether it's terrorist attack or whether it's the death of someone in our family or a breakup. Why do we have to wait for these tragedies to befall us to inspire us to shake ourselves out of this slumber and, and do something different? What if we just thought about it? Hmm. Yeah. So I guess that's the that's the hope. Oh, so beautiful. Um, I could honestly talk to you for like three more hours, I think, but I want to be mindful of our our time here. Um, there's so Ooh, much. Let's, let's do it, but just not <laughs> not in front of the millions of people listening to the podcast. Yes, the millions, the millions. Yeah, for sure. Would definitely love to continue this conversation with you. Um, there's just so much, oh, so much good stuff to be said and and to be mulled over. So before we close out. Um, I want to ask you like a series of some lightning rounds connection questions that I've been asking everyone. And before I do that, I would love for you to tell all the people where we can find out more information about you and the wonderful things that you're bringing to the world. 
Cool. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And to everyone out there, thank you so much for listening and getting all the way through what we've said so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really you guys that are, although I would actually enjoy this conversation, honestly, with just Kyla, if no one else listened. So <laughs> good enough. Cool that someone else might be there. If you're here, thanks for joining us. Um, but go to check out letsreimagine.org let's reimagine.org. And you can find, um, we have a festival coming up in New York city in, in June. And then our, what we're really doing, uh, what's exciting about our organization now is we've, we're shifting from us producing our own festivals to be able, able to support other cities across the country, um, in creating their own, uh, reimagines. So we've been talking to Austin and Chicago and Boston and New York and San Francisco. All of these places are, are working with teams of volunteers to uh, launch um, these large scale end of life slash life conversations uh, in those communities. And if you're interested in doing so, yeah, reach out. I'm at brad at let's reimagine.org. And I'd be more than delighted to speak to anyone out there who's uh, has an interest in this it's fun to do it in community. That's, that's the name of the game is doing these things together. It's way more fun and, and it's what makes the world go round. Uh, so thank you, Kyla. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Hell yeah. It's doing it in community. I love that. Awesome. Okay. So some final questions for you. Um, first, what is something that most people assume about you? They assume, well, I, they assume that I, that I like death. <laughs> I don't, I, there's a thing called the death positive movement. And I'm not part of that movement. I'm not into death positive. It's this new thing. I'm not. I'm not death positive. I'm like, er, death, death real. I'm like death real. Mm. Yeah, that's where I stand on this. I'm. I'm not like a. It's like a part of life, so I acknowledge it and try to deal with it. Hmm. Beautiful. Um. What is something that you would like to be acknowledged more for? I mean, selfishly, like I do love making music. And I don't know if it's acknowledgement. I wish people acknowledged my music more by listening to it more. Just Hell like I, yeah. I just like love making it and I make it for myself, but I have a lot of my own thoughts and dreams and hopes in, in there. And it would be really cool if the acknowledgement came through the form of listeners. Oh, hell yeah. We are, are, is your music on Spotify? You haven't mentioned that yet. Oh, I do have some music on Spotify. I just put up, I had an album that was, I came out with like 10 years ago that I just put up there, but I've been recording a bunch of new music. I've just been too shy to put it out in the world. But if you go to Spotify and you search for Brad Wolf and the Moon, which is the name of my band, Brad Wolf and the Moon, you can um, check it out. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not bad. I, I mean, I used to, I played with like, you know, I've got a chance to play with um, people in the Dave Matthews band and people in Counting Crows and um open for Sarah Borella's in San Francisco and what? Uh, the Gin Blossoms and a bunch of cool bands back in the day. Uh I'm not as hip with some of the I gotta get hipper with some of the cool new stuff that's out there. But I feel like <laughs> I could still be relevant. Absolutely. Well yeah, okay, let's definitely get some acknowledgement in the form of Spotify listens for sure. That's good. I'm glad we got that. Um great. Third question, what do you think most people learn from you? I think the thing that most people learn from me is um, that it's okay to be to be vulnerable and that in vulnerability, there is an inherent creativity that is a more fun way to be. Mm, beautiful. 
And last question, what is one of your favorite questions to ask other people to help you to get to know them? You know, there's always like, what's your superpower? What would you do if money didn't matter? What are your dreams? Yeah, there's this whole field called appreciative inquiry, which if you're not familiar with that out there, you should check out appreciative inquiry. It's using like positive questions to um, shape conversations and and it assumes that what we that in finding and solving problems, that the good things and the answers are already there, that we're already doing those things. We just need to do more of them by asking positive questions. Mm. I I try to use those like positive questions that frame things and make people see themselves in their own best light. Gorgeous. Oh, I'm all about it. Beautiful. Well, Brad, thank you so, so much for taking some time out of your day today to speak with me and to share all of this. There's like so much beautiful wisdom that's been shared here. And again, I think just even having the conversation just makes all of it feel so much more human and manageable. And the fact that we're doing it in community, it's so important. And I'm so grateful for you and so grateful for this conversation. Well, likewise, thanks for the opportunity to be on your outstanding podcast. You're a great host. You ask great questions. (laughs) And I wish um, we get to continue um, speaking and I hope, you know, all you out there who are still listening, man, for this podcast, not just this one, but all the episodes, send them to your friends or whatever it takes to blow up a podcast. I don't know what it takes, but (laughs) I feel like this is an important conversation that you're trying to bring into the world and you have a great voice to do it. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, there you have it. That is the episode with Brad Wolf. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it and pulled a lot of value from that conversation. I definitely did. And I definitely recommend checking out Brad's work, especially if you're in San Francisco, but definitely follow him on Spotify. He's a really great musician and I'm so happy that I know about him now. So thank you so much for listening. I love you all so much. And I'll see you next week with the next episode.